I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. This episode is a real treat for me. I get to introduce you to my co-founder and better half, Gina Hadley. Gina and I founded The Second Shift nearly 10 years ago as a way to solve an issue that affected both of us and so many other women. We've been through it all together, and I'm so grateful and blessed that she's my partner and friend. If you know her, you know she is very outspoken and not shy, but she hates being on social media, and she really doesn't like it when I make her the focus of our attention for The Second Shift, when I interview her. I think she finds it all really cringy, which just makes me want to highlight her more. I hope you enjoy getting to know Gina and hearing a little bit about how we started this company and how we've grown this business together. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Jenny. Hi, Gina. How are you? I'm so glad that you're doing this with me because you're the person that I spend the most time with pretty much, you know, mentally, if not physically. but. I felt like we started this podcast and I'm really excited about the reaction. And as we tell the story about the second shift, people want to know. The people want to know. Who is this mysterious (laughs) Gina that is always being focused and sort of playfully mocked on On TikTok TikTok and, and casually mentioned all the time on our podcast. So I feel like we should deep dive into I think we should. who is Gina Hadley. Amazing. I just have to say that I can't believe that you have all the setup to do a podcast by yourself. This is a woman audience whom we had one of our first meetings. Somebody said that they would send an e-bite for the next meeting, and Jenny got her file effects out and didn't know how they would know whether or not she was free. So the fact that she has a mic <laughs> no, and this wait. whole thing, it's, you are, you're like the You're techno- forgetting that story. That story is actually somebody saying, can you send an invite? <laughs> That's what it was. And I didn't use an online calendar. So I was like, am I supposed to write like, dear Neil, <laughs> I want to invite you to come <laughs> to, to a meeting, meeting on December 3rd. So, and then you introduced me. I mean, the file effects was a major sticking point in our relationship it was, at one point. But look, I audience, I wish you could see Jenny's got this mic and like a mixer. You didn't know me back in my like News 12 days no, and my TV days where this is like bringing me back to those days where I carried like giant backpack full of batteries and cords and schlepped around the world, still wearing cute shoes, even though, you know, it broke my back and it was terrible and yeah. it was a slog, but it was... I'm just so glad you're doing this because I'm going to take a little bit of credit for putting this in like in the inception of your brain of telling you that when we went to conferences, you should interview people. And you always told me that you didn't want to do that. And now you're doing it. So I'm going to take all the credit. You, I give you full credit. (laughs) I honestly do. I give you full credit. You told me for years to be doing this, but it didn't like click that there was the right avenue. And also, you know what's so dumb? Tell me. You and I, I've been listening to podcasts since podcasts were born in like This American Life 
back in like we the early up, 2000s. Forget the early 2000s. We grew up in cars with people who listen to NPR. Yes. And I have loved podcasts. And it's one of those things where you just assume it was too late. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, I didn't get on that bandwagon. And then you don't realize that like not everybody listens to podcasts obsessively. Yeah. And and the train um, has not left. And the, the train, station. and it's not too late. It's let's never use, too late. Let's use some more metaphors. It's <laughs> never too late. You can always try it. And what's the harm in trying something? And so I give you full credit because because of you, I decided to try it. And I know you think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy. I think it's fantastic. I think that we talk to a lot of super interesting people and we have unbelievably interesting women in our network who have really deep expertise and we should be sharing it. And we should be sharing the insights that we've been able to garner from these women with our audience at large. What I like about it is that it felt to me like we only got to reach a very specific and small audience, which would be the like vetted second shift members. And I like that in COVID, we realized there was a huge audience out there of women who were in the same place. And what we had to say and the access to the amazing experts and speakers, it could be much more egalitarian if we could open up the content and reach people in different platforms in different ways. Hence, TikTok, your favorite. <laughs> Oh boy, we're gonna know. We're, we'll just keep this as an audio version of our relationship rather than a visual one today. So I would like you to tell the story of how you and I met and first partnered up because I you have a fun, you have your version of it, and sure. So the origin story is a good one, and I think it can be told from two perspectives. Mine is one that addresses how I blew my career up for the love of my life, my husband, besides Jenny Galuzzo, my husband, Eric Hadley. So a very, very long story short, I ended up leaving my job at a nice big advertising agency in New York and moving to Seattle with my husband in the 90s. And there wasn't really the kind of advertising. I always joke that it's not the Grey's Anatomy Seattle. It was the like grungy Seattle of the 90s still. So I had to figure out what to do. And I went to work first. I worked in not-for-profit. I went to work for a startup. And then I had a kid. And then I had another kid. And all this time I was doing projects, doing some consulting. We also moved back to New York. We moved back to Seattle. So when I met Jenny in, gosh, 2011, 11, 12. Well, right, when was right when was Reed born? 2012. Okay, so 2010, okay. we met because you were, told me you were pregnant at my 11th anniversary on 11, 11, 11. But like, it's also, you know, people ask me all the time, how does it go? How does it work with you and Gina? Because it's so hard to have a working long term partnership. I mean, it is like a marriage in a lot of ways. What do you account for the success of our co-foundingness? Well, I think that you and I are uniquely paired because neither of us are ego-driven. I don't think, I know that I never feel any kind of resentment when you get any acknowledgement, and I, I'm pretty sure you are the same. Like, Absolutely. It is in service of the business that you and I do anything outward facing. I talked about this when I did Jennifer Justice's podcast, that you and I also realized that the business wasn't us. 
that the business was about more than us and to make it like a cult of personality around either you or I was not in service of our members. And what we saw in the past couple of years, with especially with female founders, is how gleefully and joyfully the public that had set them on a pedestal knocked them right off and then put them on their knees and took their heads off. So that's one of them. I mean, honestly, you and I did have a little bit of a rough patch when I went to that stupid executive retreat and they, I like some Spencer Stewart nonsense. And they told me what it was like to be a CEO. And I came back like brainwashed. It was like, I went to Esalen, but the opposite and not warm and fuzzy, not warm and fuzzy. (laughs) And you were going through your own personal stuff and not communicating it. And so both of us were on the extremes. And I think it was probably like a couple of months that we weren't connecting. And as soon as we realized we weren't, then it was over and we haven't had a rough spot since. And when I say rough spot, it means that I think we were just annoyed with each other for a little bit. I feel super lucky that I never question our dedication to the company, but there isn't an outsized expectation that either of us are going to be the one that like drag it into the next phase. We're very lucky. We have a third partner who we rely on more than anything, Kemp Stibe, who we somehow Jedi mind tricked to leave Alan and company and come and work with us. And she is invaluable. And then we have an amazing team. But I also love you. And that helps. Like I do. I adore you. And you have to like each other. But it's so interesting because we get requests a lot on the platform for help me find a co-founder and I don't get that. Like you want to find a partner, that's fine. Or you want to find somebody that you want to run the business with. But it's like, maybe it's like having a stepchild. Like you get remarried and that person is also kind of your kid's parent. But like we started this together. There is nobody else that founded it. It's you and I did. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that we like birthed this from inception. And we had a lot of really we had some ideas that didn't work out and some ideas that still hold true, but we went through the whole thing together. I also think that we're temperamentally similar in a lot of ways, but also incredibly different. Oh, 100%. So it balances out. You have to have, like, I have been to conferences with Gina and she is the conference queen. The things that would make me so uncomfortable, the ways in which like your responsibilities for this business, which are like all the business development and the corporate relationships. And I am not a salesperson. I find it like so uncomfortable and cringy. And you are like, I have seen you work a conference room in Cannes that I just would have been like sitting in the corner. And every time I've had to go to a conference without you, I literally am like, what would Gina do? Behave like Gina. Pretend you're Gina. Because I'm not a wallflower in any way, but in that capacity, I find it really hard. Like TikTok is not your happy place. Being on stage, being on camera is not a place that you feel that comfortable. So in some ways, like it naturally fell out that the roles that we took were the things that we were most comfortable and best at. And there's no stepping on each other's toes in that capacity because we're like, oh, well, no, you're really good at that. So you go do that. And like we can mush together when needed, but it, it did work out that way. And We've always agreed and I had been eye to eye on like all the major decisions from like 
the direction of the business to when we've had to hire someone, firing someone, what fonts to use. You know, we we really are in the same place. And I think there's also a lot of empathy. Like you said, there's been times where we've each had really difficult personal things happen over the last few years. And being with somebody who you know you have love and empathy for, it's like, okay, you cut each other breaks. You understand where they're coming from. And I also think like one of the huge benefits of being your partner is that you're a few years older. Just a few. A few. But you have two children and they are a few years older than mine. And it has been a huge benefit to me to have the experience of seeing you go through the life phases with your children because it makes you realize that, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel in any way. And so I've had that opportunity to be like, oh, this is what it looks like. And when there's been times where it's felt like really overwhelming to me or scary or intense, it's like, then I can see how it plays out on the other side. And I'm like, oh no, look, well, you You know, know, it's not that big of a deal. But that's something at the end that, of the day. But that's something in the or in the like the beginning of the second shift. One of the messaging that Jenny crafted, especially for our members that felt like they were making that were making decisions because of a specific moment in time, that this isn't forever. You don't have an infant forever. That your mother isn't dying forever. That you're not a new person in a neighborhood forever. And unfortunately. Women are forced to make career choices in those moments that can affect the entire trajectory of their professional career. And so that is a tenant of the second shift in some ways, like this too shall pass. It is, look, Jenny and I have been talking about flexible work since, I don't know, we started, we started talking about this in 2014. When pandemic hit, when we all, everybody got sent home it was definitely the time to do like the I told you so dance from Will and Grace. What it turned out was that was a moment in time when we knew it would have been a great way for the world to embrace flexible work and to realize that the archetype of the workplace wasn't for everybody, blah, blah, blah. But it was also a really scary time and companies were laying off people in droves. Budgets for contingent workforces were shut down. But Jenny and Kemp and I and the rest of our team really hunkered down thinking this too shall pass and we will get to a moment where things normalize. Hopefully the pendulum won't shift and we'll go all the way back. But when you have a business and you're trying to create something new, you have to be in the moment constantly, but also realizing that the reality that you're living in right now may not be the reality in six months. That's true. And again, times that have been really difficult where we've had to come together. And, you know, a lot of it is that I am like pathologically optimistic. And so just refuse to bow to the weight. But you're not, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of uh, umbrage with that, but you're not like Pollyannish. Like you are optimistic, but you're also a realist. Yeah. I never feel like we have to like bring you back down to earth. What you always are looking for is that my mother-in-law would say a little piece of blue sky. Yes. Or a reframe. Yes. You know, when we felt like, oh my God, we're just, this is a terrible slog in the middle of the pandemic and no one's hiring anybody. And there's thousands of women trying to join the second shift and we don't have jobs for them. And it feels really like 
hard to go to work every day and laying off people and cutting hours back to survive. And then just taking a moment to like reframe it and say, okay, but we survived. Yeah. And look what we've been able to do. And And you started the webinars and and you started the podcast. And find different ways to make it work because there's no giving up. No. There isn't, even though sometimes it seems really, like it really, be really, so really nice. nice. <laughs> it would be so nice to give up sometimes. But I think it's that they're just like that's, pushing that boulder up the hill forever. Well, and that's where I have so much respect for founders or like folks that do this on their own. I don't know how anybody does this by themselves. That feel because that the survival mechanism in me is to. Ask Jenny, ask Kemp, ask Elizabeth, ask Ruth, ask Kirsten, ask our team, you know, what do you think? How do we move forward through this? Because somebody's going to have an idea. And that I also think is one of the keys to our partnership is neither you nor I think that we have the answer on our own, that we're some kind of the messiah of this company. All Jenny and I want is for somebody to come and tell us what to do. We were lucky enough to have an amazing COO for a while who would tell us what to do pour one out for Michelle Pay. She still tells us about today. We had lunch with her last week. But that is one of the things that I am so grateful for is I'm pretty sure I may have a good idea, but I'm pretty sure that if somebody else takes hold of it and runs with it, it's going to become a better idea. And as long as it keeps the car moving forward or whatever analogy we've been using the train, it just I'm happy. I'm super happy. And sometimes it's bad ideas. Sometimes it's bad sometimes ideas. Sometimes we come up with bad ideas and then it's good to Thank be God able to have- we've never really spent any money on any really bad ideas That's true. though. Fair. One of the things also that you may not know about the second shift, I'll give you a little tidbit here, is we never really went out and raised a round of money. We did what would now be called like a Friends pre-seed. and family. Friends and family. And a seed round. And one of the reasons that we didn't take- advantage of any of the term sheets that we were offered was going back to this idea that we didn't actually know what it was for a long time that we were building. We were pretty sure what the tenants were and what the core was. But both Jenny and I, as well as our partner Kemp, came to the realization that if we take funding, we're going to be definitely directed by other people who aren't working on this business day to day as to what they thought the business should be. And we just, at that moment in time, we weren't ready for it. And then the world changed, but it gave us, it really did give us a kind of freedom that allowed us because we weren't beholden to anybody else. I remember we met with somebody at the beginning. The very beginning? The very beginning who said, act like money isn't free. Yeah. Spend what you make, like run it like a real business. And we do that. Yeah. We, you know, we have the equity, majority equity in the business. And so we are deeply responsible for the success of it. We good had, or bad. Yeah. We've had people who have invested in us because they believe in what we're doing. They believe in the mission. They believe in us, but they are the world's greatest investors because it is a mission and it isn't rocket ship to the moon. And we could promise you a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to do it because this business changes all the time. And I even had a question the other day. Somebody was like, why aren't you raising more money? And I was like, because Six months ago, people wanted to hire 100 people, and then today they're firing. And we're not in a time where we can predict anything. And we're not in a time where we can say in six months we even know 
we know what this business is. We understand the fundamentals. We understand the runway. We understand what we need to make it work and where we want to go with it. But I don't like the idea that we're going to overpromise something yeah. that we don't know if we can deliver on. Oh, because then I would never sleep. Just feels awful. And we have a lot of friends and we know of a lot of businesses that in the last eight years have done the opposite, have raised a huge amount of money. And each time you and I look at each other and are like, what are you going to spend it on? Oh my God, they raised $14 million. <laughs> like what would we do if we had $14 million? And we sit and we dream about all the ways in which we could grow and spend. But then- You know what? None of them exist they anymore. They don't exist anymore. And th th look, this is not a like, we are better than anybody else. It's but just the path- Can that we just say we might be? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this is the path that also- we chose in this the past. tolerance that we had. I went to see one of our investors in Seattle last week, and I gave him the update. At the end of our meeting, he said, and I kind of gave him the trajectory and what we're looking at and how we see the business unfolding, which is very different in some ways than what it was at the beginning. And he said, look, you survived through the pandemic. You didn't come to me for money, which is, I can't say that about all of the companies I invested in, and you're still in business. So chalk it up to whatever whatever foresight we had that we were. And I think that one of the things we that- We run lean, but also lean. just to point out what we say all the time, we, what do you say? We eat our own dog food. No, I hate that. Okay. We, we eat our own crops. We eat our own crops. <laughs> you know what? At the end of the day, we are the proof of this business working because we have thousands of women at our disposal who we can hire as we need them. So we've never needed to raise a huge amount of money to then have this staff because we use the women as they should be hired for their expertise. And so we've been able to grow as needed because we can throw out jobs and projects to our own members and say, who can do this projection for me? Who can do a social media campaign? And so because of that, we've been able to run really lean. I think in a lot of ways we've survived because of that. Oh, and they are the rocket. They are fuel. the rocket. Fuel. When people say, what is it, your secret sauce? Our members. I always say it, it's our members. And it's yeah. because we've been able to prove that concept out. And it's been, I think, a, a huge piece of our success. I also want to credit Kemp Stibe, our third partner and CFO, who again, when we say we like divide up responsibilities and life. And we all do the things we're best at. And thank God we don't have to do the things that we're really not good at. Thank God for Kemp. Thank God for Kemp. Oh, my God. Thank God for because Kemp. Because I, we, you and I, that is not our strong suit. No. the CFO. No. No. It would not be. No, it would not be good <laughs> it for anybody. It would not be good for us. It would not be good for anybody. So thank God for Kemp. But she also, she, because she was a banker, had the foresight early on to say, you don't want to take this VC money, even though they're offering you you know, millions of dollars and it would make it really super comfy well, and, and fun. And the thing I love about Kemp was also, and this is not to say about anybody else, their business, like, and let's be clear, we are not a technology business. Oh. We are not a consumer. We are not a packaged goods. We do not have a warehouse full of lipstick or eyeliner or sheets or dresses. So we don't need that capital. Like everything that we run on is basically, it's lean. How do you make work work for you? Do you ask everybody? Yes, that? I do. That's oh, my that's, last. That's your line. My, yeah, that's my okay. last question now. So I know you want to wrap this up because you love doing this. With no, me. we have another call in like twenty minutes. Yes, we do. <laughs> How do I make work work for me? I do believe that I hit a real wall. I would say like end of twenty twenty, 
And one of our members who had been one of our clients, who was in HR, sent out an email saying that she was starting her professional coaching business. And I felt like it was a sign from the universe that I needed some outside help because I was feeling super stuck. So the way that I make work work for me now is I have a plan. I realized that working harder and working all the time was not making me more efficient. I did the work of figuring out when do I work best? How do I work best? And giving myself the permission to be done at some point in the day. So that when I laid my head on my bed at night on my pillow, I could know that I did everything possible to move, since we're using the train analogy, to like get the train out of the station. Some days far more successful than others, but I stopped laying in bed and stressing out about the crap that I didn't do that day because I could only handle what had happened. I couldn't go back. So it was like giving myself permission to realize, okay, tomorrow is another day. That's how I make work work for me. That's awesome. And I also got off social media. That helps a lot too. Only because I'm not concerned with what anybody else is doing. Because for us, there's a lot of FOMO and like, oh, this person is doing this and oh, they're having this hair and the, thinking that that's what we should be doing. We used to get much more caught up in that. We I used will to- say, I, I know I did, where I would see that there were moments where I would see or you'd read an article about somebody in our space who had launched a product that looked remarkably similar or had different, similar language or had raised a lot of money or was doing, you know, uh, something that I thought that we could do. And it would give you that like FOMO-y pit of your stomach. We're not doing enough. We need to be doing this. And, you know, we've always like marched to our own drummer, but also like been really practical and pragmatic in how we ran our business and didn't try to do all the things all the time and be everything to everyone. And in the long run, it has served us in longevity, but also in like being really laser focused to our business proposition, our mission, our revenue model, and testing things out slowly and economically. And I think that being off social media is probably a better thing because it you don't need to go to that place. That is just like a useless feeling. Well, it also, I think the way that like, if we think about how you are most efficient and how work works for you, it's not the same for everybody. Everybody has their own cadence. I mean, this is, goes back to the thesis of our company is that working in an office Monday through Friday, eight to six is an archetype that doesn't work for a lot of working women at certain periods in their life. And it's why we started the second shift. So why would I not then apply that thesis to myself, that there are certain times a day that I am more efficient, that I know that I have to walk away at a certain point during the day, that if I don't give myself some headspace to think about things and I just continue to cram on, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have any ideas. So those are the things that I had to work on my own, I would say like my own thesis around work in order to get to a place where I feel like I am my most efficient self. And not every day is a win. And that is okay. I think one last point, and then we've got to shut this party down. Because then we'll just talk to each other for the next four hours, not on a microphone. But I feel like there was a moment pre-COVID where I look back on how we worked and to your point, 
earlier that you know it was just cranking to crank and it was like kind of like that hustle culture hustle like you know female founders all the time like boss babe kind of vibe that was going on and it did have an infectious quality where it felt like if you weren't acting in a certain way if you weren't at every single thing that there was a constant milieu of female founder hustle that you were like not competitive or you were going to be left out or you were business wouldn't succeed. And then what we saw in some ways in COVID was that that was all bullshit. And a lot of that went away and reprogramming to the reality of what's actually efficient and productive has been good for us. Well, I think it's a really different vibe. It's a very different vibe. And you know, hustle porn is real. And it's the, like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. That doesn't actually mean that you're super efficient and you're getting a lot done. There has always been some kind of award given for being so busy. And I don't necessarily think it's the award that needs to be given out. It's about figuring out how you are able to achieve your goals without making everybody around you insane. Also, we know a lot of women who are very incredibly busy, who are busy doing lots of things that you can't really understand how they're so busy. And you can be busy. You can make yourself really busy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting anything done. Productivity and busy are very different animals. A hundred percent. I completely agree. So to that point... I do have to get on my city bike because we do have another call in 20 minutes. And I'm so busy that I have to go because I'm at the point in my life where I get to go on an airplane and go to Scotland and visit my son, who's a junior at University of Edinburgh. And that also leads me to this. I didn't have a partner like Jenny who was okay that I am taking advantage of this moment in time, which I will never have again, to go to Europe and see my kid who has worked so stinking hard through his freshman year of COVID at college and now is at University of Edinburgh having a great time and wants to show me everything, not everybody's partner would be okay with that. So I thank you so much for letting me feel like I get to live my life outside of the second shift and don't have to apologize for it. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.